0: Verse thirty-seven: For nothing is impossible with God. That's incredible. That statement. If you stop and think about it, nothing is impossible with God. I'd love us just to spend a few minutes unpacking that and, and just thinking about what that might mean for us. Here in this passage, it was speaking. Of Elizabeth, a woman past the age of being able to bear children, a woman who had never been able to have children, and yet she was six months pregnant with a son that would be named John. And here, Mary is being told that that without any sexual relationship, she is going to be conceiving a child. The Son of God. Nothing is impossible for God. And in a sense, these, these two events are just kind of like the tip of the iceberg in what is impossible for us, but is wholly possible for God. Because the impact of Jesus through the past 2,000 years has stretched far and wide as God stepped into the world to do something quite extraordinary. As we think about this idea of what, what is impossible for God, what it is that he stepped into the world to do, that's kind of the place I want us to start with, looking at what, what it was that Jesus was coming to do. Essentially, the gospel is what I want us to look at, first of all. Because in so many ways, the story of the gospel is plain impossible. But, for God, it's not impossible. If you jump with me just briefly to Luke chapter 4. And uh, it's just a couple of pages over in your Bibles. And just uh, look at, uh, there's, a, there's a, an event in Luke chapter 4 where he finds himself, uh, Jesus, finds himself in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he picks up a scroll and he reads in verse 18 of chapter 4, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me "'because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor.'" He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then having rolled up the scroll and given it back to the attendant, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine being there. Imagine hearing that this unschooled carpenter's son making that claim. I'm I'm who Isaiah was talking about. I'm here. It's me. You might begin to think as you look at that and you think, well, yeah, Jesus said that he came to fulfil that But hang on a minute, there are still so many that are poor in this world. There are still so many who are prisoners, both physically in captivity and perhaps prisoners to all sorts of other things. There are those who are blind, there are those who are oppressed Even in Jesus' day, he didn't heal every single blind person. So did he fail? Did he actually not do what what he came to say? Who is he talking about that he's going to release and give sight to? I think there's a key in verse 19 that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And interestingly, that word favour is also there in, in chapter 1, where, where, where Mary is told that you have found favour with God. What is that year of the Lord's favour? Well, it has echoes of a, of a Jewish Uh, Practice of Jubilee. You might remember back in the year 2000, there was a great big campaign called Jubilee 2000, where there was a real campaign for, for third world countries to be released from their debts. And this idea of Jubilee was about releasing people from their debts, and it was a regular cycle of being released from debt. And here, Jesus is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. He's speaking of cancelling debt. Some of you might be saying, yes, please. (laughs) Please. A clean start. Yes, please. What debt are we talking about, though? What is the debt that Jesus may be talking about here? If you think about the Lord's Prayer, from which the title of this series uh, comes comes into its place, in in older language, the Lord's Prayer has this bit in it, which says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is that debt that we're asking forgiveness of? Tell me if you like. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. The debt that we have, every single one of us here, man, woman and child, is a debt of sin. We so often ignore the creator of the world. We do our own thing. And there's a kind of ingratitude that would be deeply offensive to us. Maybe you've been extremely generous to somebody, a family member perhaps or a friend. You feel that you've been so generous to them and they just blanked you, just not even acknowledged it. Now, in a sense, you weren't looking for thanks, maybe. You weren't looking necessarily for repayment. But how much did it hurt that there was no acknowledgement? And yet, God feels that all the time with us. Each time we fail to acknowledge Him, each time we think, yeah, yeah, I can do it my way, I'm good. And the the tricky thing is, we are very capable people, aren't we? Very capable people here within this room. There is huge capability, huge experience, huge skills. We are very able. But you know what? Even if we pointed to all the good things we've done, it doesn't even vaguely hit the mark. Of meeting with God. All those good things are like pennies. Trying to pay off a multi-million pound debt. Really they're small fry that are never going to pay off that debt. Jesus is saying here. I'm coming to release you. From a poverty of being totally self-absorbed from a blindness to God's love and compassion and justice. I want to release you from your captivity to sin. And here's the incredible impossible bit. I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to pay everything that you owe. Will you accept my offer and follow me? Relationship with God is impossible for us in our own strength. We cannot do it, but Jesus Died, took upon himself all of our sin. Whether it's through ignorance, whether it's through intent, intent, he took upon himself all of our sin so that we might have relationship with Jesus. And so we begin to see the God of the impossible working Through impossible situations. And we come back to chapter one, the situation of a barren woman getting pregnant, a virgin conceiving. Like the God of creation taking initiative to save sinners. So, what about chapter one of Luke, verse 37? What's interesting, it's got echoes of another time Jesus says those same words in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26. Jesus has been talking to a rich man who said, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And he's done all the the good things. He's an upright, solid character but he doesn't want to let go of his hold on his wealth. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven because he knew that that was the one thing that that guy wouldn't let go of. And then Jesus says, I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard various people try and explain this, that that eye of a needle thing is like some little small kind of gateway into into Jerusalem or something. No! What Jesus is saying is it is impossible to get in on your own merit. But then verse 26... With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Only with God's sheer undeserved generosity can we enter into the kingdom of heaven. The very invitation to walk with God has the ring of the impossible. And yet, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. So, as we enter into a series where we, we're trying to, to focus a little bit on prayer, what does this mean? Nothing is impossible with God. Are we setting ourselves up for disappointment? Because you're probably all thinking of different impossibilities that you face and and thinking, yeah, but hey. Is that what we're doing? Are we setting ourselves up for for disappointment? As I was thinking about that, I started reading some other translations of this passage, of of that verse. And I noticed that in the new version of the NIV, maybe if you've got your... your, uh, uh, Bible on a tablet. It's got the new version of the NIV, and it says this for those words, nothing is impossible with God. It says, no word from God will ever fail. Ooh, that's kind of different. And then I kind of looked at one or two other versions. And again, that came up a, a couple of other times. J.B. Phillips, who, who wrote a beautiful translation of, of the New Testament, he kind of took on that idea. No promise of God can fail to be fulfilled. And I thought, hello. Are some of the translators trying to avoid this word impossible? Are they trying to kind of swerve around it because it's just a wee bit too awkward? So I had a look in the Greek, how scripture was written in the first place. And I noticed that it actually is a jolly awkward little sentence, far beyond my Greek capabilities. Thank the Lord for the internet, and thank the Lord for interlinear Bibles that have the the Greek and then the English, and it's all, it's there, and you can, yeah, anyway. Two words were in that verse in the Greek. There was the word impossible, it is there. But also, the word from God is there. So there's a concept of impossibility and there's also the concept of a word from God. And I don't know quite why people have made decisions, but it seems to me that the translation, roughly, should be when God speaks it, nothing is impossible. And if you kind of read those two translations together, nothing is impossible from God and no word from God will ever fail. Together. I think that's a helpful context to, to to see what's being said here. And it's particularly helpful when we come to prayer. If we're honest, do we not often think of prayer where we're in a sticky situation? When actually, the impossible would be really quite handy, thank you very much. Help! I need inspiration for this exam and I haven't revised for it. Please, Lord. Help! I've just been stopped for speeding and I really want this policeman to be nice to me because I can't afford the fine. Help! Help! How often do we turn to prayer in that kind of emergency? And it's not that that prayer shouldn't be used in an emergency, but it's more than an emergency response. It's more than a call for the spectacular, although we shouldn't be shy of asking God to do the impossible. But prayer, first and foremost, is about working out our relationship with God. It's about fellowship with God. It's about spending time with God. Not just spouting out, but actually listening. See, in any relationship, if it was all one-way traffic, it would become quite a difficult relationship. But actually, most successful relationships have a bit of both ways, don't they? We listen and we talk. We talk and we listen. And actually often the friction comes when we don't really listen and we just talk. A few wry smiles coming around. If we can know what God is saying, then knowing when to expect or even to anticipate, the impossible perhaps becomes a little bit more reasonable. Because as we get to know God, we begin to get to know his heart for a situation. So as we start this series on prayer, how do we know what God is saying? Well, it does come down to relationship. As we get to know God, we'll recognise his words ever more readily. It's a lifetime's journey. There's not kind of like a a point of arrival. And when we get there, we suddenly enter into this plane of absolute bliss of communion with God. Actually, that only happens in eternity. When Jesus returns, there will be that constant communion with God. But until then, we need to make a decision to spend time with him. You've probably heard that a million times before, but actually intentional time with God, probably quiet intentional time, depends on your personality, but somehow we need to actually work out a way of spending time intentionally where we're saying, I'm all ears, Lord, it's me and you. And it needs to be regular not just once a month it really needs to be every day it will probably involve reading your Bible because actually so much of God is revealed in the words of this amazing book and that can be daunting but, but hey let's take an adventure together this coming few weeks and just try and chip away a little bit at Luke's Gospel. There are various apps you can buy that that play audio uh, Bible reading. So if you find reading is is tough and you've got access to a, a phone or a tablet or a computer, you can listen to Scripture. That might really work for you. Maybe that somebody would read to you But reading scripture is so important. And you know, as we spend time in quiet, we spend time in scripture, we begin to to, to open up the possibility of God speaking and us recognising it. Maybe just a sense of prompting, just in the quiet, just a, a thought that comes to mind. Is that God? And as you get to know him, you can begin to discern. Maybe as you're reading scripture, something just jumps out at you and you think, "Ooh, what's that? It's not often an audible boom. Rob Howlett, I need you to go. Might be. Tell us if that happens because that would be awesome. But usually, it's something that just is within us. It might be other people, and that is why fellowship is so important. Why being together with other Christians is so important, because actually God uses other people to speak. And there needs to be honesty in that, not manipulation. I know, though, that a thought is a prompting from God. It's a tricky one. But again, that's where being with other people, talking with them can be so helpful. But ultimately, spending time with God and with his word can be so helpful. One of the key things about understanding whether God is speaking to us is does it tally with what is said in scripture? Does it actually Bear witness with something that is, is said in Scripture. Does does even if it's not the, the exact words, is the is the sense of what's being said scriptural? We can so easily spiritualize things to try and justify ourselves, can't we? I've heard people say to me, I. I, I I feel that the Lord is saying to me, I need to leave my wife. Get out of it! No! We must not justify our bad behaviour by spiritualising it. But it happens time and again, so we need to be attentive. Is it in line with Scripture? Actually, is it in line with the character and the gifts that God has given you? I feel like I'm being called to work with children. I hate them. Maybe. Maybe that's not for you. It might be that God has a work to do in your heart where you maybe need to soften. But maybe it's just that you are not gifted in that area and that is fine. I feel that I have a calling to apply for a job as chief accountant. I didn't get a maths O level, but maybe not. Is there an element of servanthood in what God is speaking to you and saying to you? I think usually God does call us to stuff that has a servant element to it. Again, we can sometimes justify our own ambitions and desires, can't we, by saying, Well, I'm, I'm sure that's God's will. That I trample over all these people and smash all that to pieces. Not sure. Maybe sometimes there are things that do seem impossible and we just need to kind of proceed with caution. If your prompting is about a kind of a major life-changing decision, particularly if you feel that that's kind of an immediate thing, maybe just be a little bit cautious. Be willing to submit to mature Christian friends and chat with them. Pray with them. Ask for their Support in praying and be willing to hear what they have to say. Maybe that you still feel that that's absolutely right, but will you give it over open-handedly? If you think that what you're being asked to do is going to leave you in huge debt or is going to put you in danger, again, proceed with caution. If there are significant implications for your family or friendships, Proceed with cautions. It's not that that God will never call us to do really hairy, risky things, but proceed with caution, please. And do cultivate friendships, not just with people who you think will agree with you, but people that you respect and trust, who would be honest with you, and listen to them let's expect God to speak to us through his word through the prompting of our hearts and particularly in these weeks let's let's try and just give ourselves a little bit of time to listen for God listen for his agenda it's in that kind of context that um, there, there are three things that, um, that this little series invites us to pray for. And you might need to just spend a day or two really thinking this through. And it might be that you share this with nobody. Or it might be that you share it with some people on a Tuesday night or with, with your family. Three things that, that you're invited to pray for each day. One of them is a big issue in your life. If you like, an impossibility. Something that just feels big And you just need to bring it before God. It may be that that God works out the impossible in that situation. Or it may be that, that God helps you to see that situation differently. Maybe that God strengthens you in the midst of that situation. But let's pray together for a big issue each. There's an invitation to pray for three friends who really don't know Jesus. And maybe there'll just be a single moment where there's an opportunity to speak or do something that speaks gospel into their lives in these 40 days. And actually it also suggests this little booklet that we pray for revival. That there would be a sense of renewed Activity of, of, of God in, in this part of the world that we would just see God at work. Who knows what that would look like? We live in a small village, so it's probably going to be on a smaller scale if it were to, to, to be a real kind of revival. But let's just explore that with God in prayer. Lord, how can we see that? How can we see you? working more and more and more in our communities. Three things that we're invited to pray for. Are we prepared to listen? Be so good to walk with others in this journey together. That's why we felt that Tuesday nights would be a good thing. That can be exactly as, as, as you allow it to be. So please don't be daunted and think that everyone's going to come and interrogate you and say, right, okay, so what are your three things then? might not be appropriate for you to share that. <coughs> but you might find that really encouraging. Or you might just find it really encouraging to know that other people are, are, are reading through Luke's Gospel and that other people forgot. And you kind of say, yeah, I forgot too. That you stand together, but maybe encourage one another. so good just to meet together half seven on Tuesday nights if you can if you can't do Tuesday nights then then let's see if we can find other times that, that little groups of people could just support one another but Tuesday nights if we can would be awesome we've kind of run out of time but we have a God for whom nothing is impossible Will we listen for what he is saying and believe that what he is saying is possible through his enabling?